Happy Resurrection Day. How about it? Yeah. You know, it's just fun to see everybody excited because obviously that's, I mean, that's what our hope is in. So uh, what a beautiful day for it too. How about we bow before the Lord and we'll give him this time. Father, we thank you for just giving us purpose and meaning in life that we, uh, Lord, you are the energy that fuels us, the uh, excitement and the hope, Lord, that keeps us going. You are you are the one, Lord, who uh, just uh, takes good care of us, fills us with your spirit, enables us, and takes very good care of us, Lord. And we just want to today celebrate your resurrection, Lord Jesus. It is just a privilege to do that. We recognize it, and we understand it, Lord, from your scriptures of how important it was for you to be raised from the dead, Lord Jesus, but also then, Lord, to grant all of us who know you the privilege of having that same resurrection. So, Father, please just uh, accept our worship. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would fill this place, Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would all lift our hearts in unison to praise and worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be primarily in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, talking about the resurrection. And I think to start off, what we'll do, if you have the bulletin with you, I just want to read the front of the bulletin. And, uh, and then we'll get into the scriptures concerning our resurrection. But if we could just turn there and uh, or just look in front of your bulletin, we'll just, we'll just read along there. So it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hand of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So here we are, and what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at the resurrection this morning. There's so much in Scripture about the resurrection. Um, but I think it's important that perhaps maybe for us to study about our resurrection, it comes about because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, to me, which is phenomenal in so many different ways when you think about what we have in store for us, I try to sit there and imagine what it's going to be like. And it just, it's fun because I kind of like the space anyway. So it's kind of fun just to, you know, just kind of get lost in your thought. And what I love about the scriptures is they just kind of open us up to just getting lost in our thought about what we have in store for us. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. And, and so here he is, and he's, he's talking about what it means for believers to be resurrected. Because back then, like today, there were many who were scoffing at the concept. Uh, they were laughing at it. They were mocking believers because of it. They were just kind of pointing these things out. And they're saying, there is no resurrection. And so what Paul did is he wrote in response to that. 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the most uh, thorough chapter of all the Bible that teaches about what we, have, we are to expect as believers. It's the most thorough chapter about what really we are in store for. And so that's why I think it's such an important chapter as we get in there. Um, so here we are, and we, we hear these things, and it says uh, quite 
I mean, to the point is that we only have so many days preordained for us, right? And, you know, as you get older, you realize, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be a part of this aging process. And it's funny because obviously those who are in their 10s or their 20s or whatever, you know, you're not thinking about those things. But then as you get older, you realize, wait a minute. I'm no different than all those from millenniums past. And it says here in John, Job 14.5, man's days are determined. You have received the number of his months and set limits. He cannot exceed. And so there's some very important things that are come out. Now, I want to read the top of the outline because I really, C.S. Lewis wrote this and I love it because it's, it just gives us another perspective about who we are. So in the top, it said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Wow. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is, the, it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the all and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Isn't that fascinating? And really what he's talking about is eternal life. And so, you know, we think uh, just like when you think about the annihilationists and those who think that when you die, that's it. No, the scripture never says that because of eternal life, the moving on. So when we talk to one another, we're not talking about mere mortals. We're talking to those who have been created in God's image. And those of us who know Christ to be uh, given something that is very hard for us to understand, but to be given resurrected bodies, actual physical bodies that are beyond anything that we can even begin to comprehend. And that's the beauty of what it means to know Jesus Christ. And that's really what, like I said, it's the fuel that, 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 that should just drive us to continue understanding that, yeah, I know that my life only has so many days ordained for me, but it's just a blip compared to what eternity is gonna be like when it comes to knowing what it's like to dwell with Jesus Christ for eternity. And so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of get into this a little bit. I just wanna read here, um, in verse 12. And so there was a thing going on, obviously, back then where there was some lying going on and things about it. And it says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And so really what he's saying that the whole Christian experience for those, all that believe the whole Christian experience really rests on the resurrection of Christ. Well, it says here in point one that when Christ redeemed us here in the outline, he did not just redeem our spirits and souls. He redeemed us as a whole person, meaning that he redeemed our bodies also. He redeemed the believer's body, soul, and spirit for glorification so that we could dwell with him as a whole resurrected person for eternity. That's eternal life. This is the hope we possess because of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So you see what he did is he redeemed us, the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. 
and that's and, and and so that's and so it's it's not just a partial thing that 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 he redeemed us with, but actually the whole person that he bought about this resurrection. And so, you know, our final step is completeness in the Lord. I'll just read 1 Corinthians 15 in, in, in 42 and 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. And, and this is another thing that I, you know, when I think about this, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, I can, I, when, when I have done graveside services or when I have done a committal at the graveside and I know that that individual being put into the ground is a believer in Jesus Christ, I always leave saying, I'll see you later. Right? Hallelujah, right? I'll see you later. It's just a temporary existence. And we think about those who have gone before us, loved ones, you know, be it a spouse, be it a, a mother or father, be it a child, you know, those. And we, we just understand the temporary nature of, of not only this existence physically, but the permanent nature of what it's going to be like when we're finally home with the Lord. And we have to really keep that in understanding. It helps people with their grieving process. And it helps people because what the Lord is intent is to put hope in us as we look forward to the day. And so that's why the resurrection is so important when we think about those things. And so we're going to go down through because Paul says if it didn't exist, then all of these things are going to apply. And several of them actually four have consequences that nullify basically the truth of Scripture, and then three of them that really affect us personally. And so I just want to read if we turn over. And there's, I always put these Scriptures in. You can read them at some other point on the bottom of the outline, and because obviously scripture balances scripture, but in point two in the back, it says, without the truth of the resurrection, it's just a brief summary statement. We would have no hope beyond the grave. In fact, without the resurrection, the scriptures would be without inerrant truth and meaningless. Our faith would be a joke and no different than what non-believers put their faith in. Like the unredeemed, we'd still be dead in our sins and surely lost. And so really without the resurrection, and that's Paul's point here as he argues down through. So we're going to open it up a little bit just to look at that. And once again, I'll just kind of reiterate this as he was going that, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised for dead, how come, come you, you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if he's not been raised, our preaching is useless and in vain. And so in fact, if there's no resurrection, then why even bother coming to church on Sunday? Or come up to listen to me, right? Why even bother with anything? Why pick up your Bible, you know, to get that spiritual nourishment that we need? Why even pray if there's no resurrection? Why even bother with any of it? Why not just stumble along like most of the world does and just kind of deal with whatever comes along and, and then just have that sense of whatever? And so really that's Paul's argument here as we look upon these things. And so the fact is that we would call Jesus a liar, really. And it says here in Luke 24, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and he'll rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and for and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beyond Jerusalem. And so really, basically what he's doing is he's drawing a parallel between Christ and man because Jesus Christ was 100% man. He was 100% human. So when he died, he died like we all die. 
His heart stopped beating. There was a sensation of life, a cessation of life. He suffered. He had pain because of how they treated him on the cross. This man suffered to die for our sins. And when he died, they took his body off the cross and they carried his body to the tomb and they wrapped it in cloth. And even the next day when the Mary and the, some of the others went to, with spices, they were expecting his body to start rotting because that's what bodies do. And so he died just like we did, but he's drawing a parallel here between man and Jesus Christ because that's exactly what goes on with us. And there's no one that's going to be able to, other than Enoch, Enoch was called up. And man, I'd like to know what that guy did and said that allowed him to go up before the rest of us, you know. I often think about that. What was so special about Enoch? There was something there. <laughs> so here we are. And so basically, his life as a man ceased to exist, and what was left behind was his body. And Paul refers it to a tent here in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, if you're all with me, we groan, long to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we are not found to be naked. And so here he is, and it's just, you know, and this is something that we long for. Do you ever wonder why that ache is in your heart? And that, that ache is in there because God has put that ache in our hearts to be in our glorified bodies. And so what's interesting upon death is, is the body is in the grave. What happens to the, the soul and the spirit? And we're just going to touch on this briefly because he said without, when we die, we're found naked. And this, and this is where at this point where the difference between Christ and ourselves greatly differs because Jesus Christ was given a glorified body. And so there's one, and I'm just going to read it. And it's in Luke 16, and it talks about this disembodied state. And I just want to say this, this is an actual event. It's not a parable in any way. It's not allegory, but Jesus put it in there and he was talking about these things because he was giving us insight into what it's like. And he said this, the time came when a beggar died and this beggar used to kind of, it's a story between um, a, a rich man and a beggar. And this rich man had everything in the world. I mean, if he was living today, he'd be the Maserati guy with the $3 million, $4 million mansion estate and all that kind of stuff. And there would always be this guy at the, at the beginning of his driveway that, that was just always begging for him for food. And he would look at him with the, you know, kind of disdain saying, you're a loser, what are you doing here? You know, And that's basically the story behind here. And it says here, so this was an actual thing. So the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So we can understand that this beggar was a worshiper of God. He just was. You know, those who are, well, I won't go into that. I'm not going to go down that road. But just think, it doesn't say here, it, it doesn't mean that, it, it tells us that believers at some point do suffer, some suffer greatly. And so here he is. And the rich man also died. And guess what? He was buried. And so now we see a difference. In Hades, it says here, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so here you have a difference. And so all of a sudden, we're getting insight into the afterlife that none of us can hardly even imagine what it's like because we're only given a limited understanding of these things about the scripture. So you have a poor man, Lazarus, and a rich man. Poor man dies, and he goes up. And the Lord takes him and he takes him into Abraham's bosom to be comforted. Meanwhile, the rich man 
also dies and he finds himself in another place. Well, wait a minute, this place is different than I thought it was gonna be. This place isn't, I never even imagined these things. It's what am I doing here? And the Lord calls it Hades. And there he is. And so he called out to him, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Hmm, interesting. So he's aware. So what we get from this is there's awareness, there's perception, there's recognition, there's speech, those kind of things, right? And he's looking and he's seeing the, you know, he's seeing Lazarus up there being comforted too. He said, just, just have him dip his finger in some water so that I can get some relief. That's all I'm asking for. So it sense, you get the sense that the district man understood that there was something permanent about his state. And it goes on, he says, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, notice this, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. So it also speaks of destiny. And it's a true story. And the reason Jesus put that in there is to make us aware of there are two obviously different places you can go upon death. And the one place is comfort and experience and the love of Christ. And the other place obviously is Hades. And some define it as hell or whatever you want to define it as. And so really what Paul's argument here is if the resurrection didn't exist, then our destiny wouldn't be any better, for lack of a better way of saying it, than this rich man. He makes another argument that concerns the gospel. If there's no resurrection, then our preaching is useless. And he says, more than that, he says in verse 14, that if Christ has not been raised, uh, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And so he says, preaching is useless and then faith is useless. And I tell you, faith is another thing that drives us who know Christ because we put our faith in him every day. I can, who wants to put their faith in the world or put their faith in man? or put their faith in anything that doesn't have any kind of guarantee to it. We can't even put our faith in our health. And so if Christ wasn't resurrected, then we, our faith would be useless. And that's his point as he talks about this thing, or even preaching the gospel. And you might say, well, I don't preach, but the fact is that we do preach the gospel every day. If we're confessors of Jesus Christ or professors of Christ, our very lives preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And often turn, you often say that when you walk into wherever you're walking into, it be at the workforce, I don't care how foul-mouthed it is, I don't care how crazy it is, you're walking as light into the darkness. And you're preaching the gospel whether you realize it or not. And you see, if there's no resurrection, then all of that would just be null and have no effect whatsoever. And that's what he's saying here. We do preach, and we preach it nonetheless. And he says here, that like it, 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 the gospel's here in 1 Corinthians in 15, and um, verse 1, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to do to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
And so he's, and Paul goes on, there's no resurrection in the gospel. You know, why even preach it? And so that's what he makes his, his argument about concerning that. You know, the fact that because of his resurrection, he, you know, he was, uh, what, victorious over sin and all those things. And then he goes on to say, without it, then our faith would be useless. And so what would we put our faith in? Um, we wouldn't be any different than those who worship idols anyways in this world. And he says, in like in Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, guess what? The righteous will live by faith. So if there's no resurrection, our faith would be useless. And so it would be worthless. And it, wouldn't, it would be the greatest scam of all proportions when you think about it. Uh, a dead savior could not give life if the dead do not rise. He could not get, that's what he's saying. So he gave a resurrection. He's not a dead. And you even think about Hebrews 11, about all these men it talks about in their faith, when it talks about it's what drove them, their faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, David, the prophets, and all the others would have been uh, faithful for nothing without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would have been mocked, scourged, imprisoned, stoned, afflicted, ill-treated, and put to death completely in vain if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. And then think about all the believers, all these ages since Christ came and even before, <clears throat> all their faith would be useless if there were no res resurrection. And so he goes on to say without the resurrection too, that all witnesses too and preachers of the resurrection basically would offer nothing. And let's just look here in verse 15 as we go down through here. And he says this. <clears throat> More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, that he did not raise him if in fact that the dead are not raised. And so basically all our preaching would be useless is what he's talking about. And that's strong language because really what it's doing is calling God to be a liar. Yeah, Paul is saying, if you claim there's no resurrection of the dead, then anyone says that Christ was raised from the dead is a liar. They're like, you know what's really sad? I mean, it's just, I drove by a church the other day and went on Main Street, no Easter services. Now, I'm not busting on any churches. But let me tell you, I looked at that, and I, I was, it was early in the morning, and I just had to stop and look and say, I can't believe that. What has happened? And really what they're saying, listen, I don't know their hearts, but to me, really what they're saying is that there's no resurrection to celebrate because we're more afraid of some stupid pandemic than, we, than, we, than, than our passion for the things of Jesus Christ. And we gather together on an Easter morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is what fuels us. If he were not resurrected, then my life is meaningless. What do I have to look forward to? You know, what, what is there for me? Or how about those of us we put in the ground, those who know Christ? Why even bother? Thinking that we might not be reunited with them at some point. It's, it's a matter of understanding what's important in this life. And it's a matter of understanding that we have such a temporary existence. And why not live for him in the days we have left? Because it goes by like that. 
Why not just say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, whether you like it or not. Why not just say, he's the one I'm devoted to and who I bow down to, whether you like it or not. He's the apple of my eye, the passion of my existence. He's why I live. I don't live for the world. I don't live for its fears. I don't live for man. I live for Jesus Christ. And the reason we're here today is because we're celebrating his resurrection. He was raised from the dead. Can you imagine what it must have been like to walk with him, this physical man? And everybody wants to make him out to be effeminate of this. Or and that guy was a carpenter and a mason. And I imagine his arms were kind of like, you know, when you think about that. He was a strong man. He was, he was a man. He was a man's man. And there was nothing wimpy about him. And he's the one who was determined to live his years knowing what his fate would be. He lived his life. It was in his heart. He understood it probably as a teenager, maybe earlier, nine or 10-year-old, into his 20s. He knew why he was there. And that at some point then, he stepped into the will of the Father and then started to walk those three years expressing himself in powerful ways, knowing that at some point he was going to be on the cross dying for our sins. And we're to mock that? Or we're, we're to look at it as being insignificant? I mean, when do you get serious about life or serious about life and death or serious about what? The destiny of the soul. When do you get serious about the need for a savior? Understanding the, the brevity of life, the uncertainty of it, those kind of things. And you see, I can imagine Paul was really ticked off when he wrote this because of what it was doing. The reason he wrote it was because it was starting to penetrate the body of Christ and it was starting to doubt his teaching. And he got angry about it. That's why he writes these things, not just to write it, just, well, you just need to know so, you know, if there's no red. No, it's always in response to how man was treating the body of Christ and what man was saying. And we know Paul, he was a pretty fiery guy. And there he is. And I can imagine, you ever get angry and you start to write, and I mean, the pen wants to go down through the paper? Maybe not. Who writes anymore anyways? <laughs> okay, the keyboard. <laughs> and he's angry. Because he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He had the privilege of being called up to the third heaven. The Lord met him on the road to Damascus. He understood what he'd been given because he didn't deserve it. He was a murderer. You know, he was, he was full of pride. He was highly intelligent. I mean, he was rising up in the religious establishment of Israel. I mean, he was, you know, he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, educated under gambling. He really had quite a future. And by the way, he could have been very wealthy too as a result. And here he is, and he gets saved, and he knew he didn't deserve it. He would drag believers off and have them killed. That's how adamant he was against Christianity. And then he gets saved, and he's realizing, I didn't deserve this. But Jesus came down and touched my life and my heart and gave me what I didn't deserve. And so when he writes, he writes with passion. And you think about living the Christian life, do we live it with passion? Oh, we have our ups and downs. We wake up, we're maybe a little grumpy. I mean, all that stuff is just part of the fallen nature, right? But still, do you have a passion for Christ? And what I mean by that, too, is that that passion means that we are devoted to him and not to the ways of the world. 
We don't buy into the world's philosophy. We don't buy into the way it thinks. We don't buy into its fears. We don't buy into what it's trying to tell us as far as how we should think. We don't buy into any of it because we're his. And he gives us clarity of thought and knowing how not to buy into whatever fears are there or whatever they're trying to tell us in a woke culture or whatever it might be. And that's why he's writing these things. He's talking about these things. And the sad part too, and he goes on, and he talks about this too, as he talks about, you know, <clears throat> all the New Testament truth stands or falls together based on the resurrection. And that's really what it is when you think about it. And then he goes and he says, so if there's no resurrection then, and this really gets down to it. And this is the difference between Lazarus and the rich man because Lazarus' sins were forgiven and the rich man's sins were not. And as a result of him not being a man of faith, there was a chasm between those of faith and those of not, because he could not cross that because he could not stand before the holy presence of God himself because of his sin. Where Lazarus, because he was redeemed, because his sins were forgiven, was welcomed wholly into the presence of a holy God. And that's what we have in store for us. And that's why he said, so he would say, basically, if the resurrection didn't, didn't exist, we'd still be in our sins. And he says in verse 7, and if Christ, verse 17, has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I don't like being in my sin. I don't like the sin nature. Can't wait to be free from the sin nature. How about it? You know, when it tells in Scripture, we'll leap like lambs being, uh, or lambs being released from the stall or calves. I mean, that's going to be part of it because we're going to be, there's going to be a weight lifted off of us. We're going to be freed from something that dominates us, and that's our sin nature. And to think that we'll be free from that. That we'll look at one another and speak with absolute truth as we look into one another's eyes. That we'll look at one another and we'll express absolute love toward one another, a wholeness of love that we don't quite understand, a wholeness of compassion, a wholeness of just wanting to draw near because there's purity there, and that purity is what's been given to us through Jesus Christ. All those things. So you see the value of the resurrection and the things that we have to look forward to as he talks about that because our sin nature will be gone. We won't deal with these petty things that we deal with, these petty emotions and, and likes and dislikes and whatever that might be. <clears throat> and so he's saying, and Paul's argument is this, understand the consequences of not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If we were not raised, there'd be no possible way to stand before the Lord without our sin condemning us. No possible way. John 8, 23. But he continued, you are from below. <clears throat> this is Jesus. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. And there he is, and he's just being very blunt and to the point to them because they thought they were all right and they were not. And so without the foundation of this primary component of our faith, we cannot expect life to be more than it simply is. A life where there's nowhere to turn to escape self-condemnation, let alone God's condemnation, without the resurrection. And so if Jesus remained dead, then we too would remain what? Dead and damned, basically, without the resurrection. And if Christ was not raised, then he did not bring forgiveness of sins or salvation or the abundant life in him that he offers to all who embrace him, you know. And then he says, without the resurrection, all who die in the Lord are lost. There is no hope here in verse 18. As he goes down, then those 
also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost without the resurrection. And that's what he's talking about here. Without hope that we would have no anchor for the soul. And I'll just read Hebrews 6. God did this that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And so here we are on all these things about the resurrection. And then one last thing he says, a third thing, if Christ were not raised, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else on earth because we're no different in God's eyes than the unsaved. And he goes, and he goes on and said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Because it would be a mockery. So he's saying the importance of the resurrection takes us away from that and gives us joy and an understanding of what that means. In Ephesians 2, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And there he is, all these things because of the resurrection. And I'll just say, if your life in Christ is a passion that fuels your daily existence, then you really understand Paul's point. That we walk around very special people, not because of anything special about us, not because we even brought anything to the cross, but because for some reason, Jesus Christ touched our hearts and drew us into an understanding of what it means to know him as the Lord and Savior. Right? And here we are. Huh? Such a temporary existence. And I look at the world seriously, and I, I mean, it, it, is it getting crazier? It's like they've lost their minds. I just, and I shake my head, and I walk about, and you know how much it affects me? Listen, it saddens me. And I feel for our kids. And I feel for our marriages. I feel for all those things because I want us to thrive and do well. But there's craziness out there. And the thing that I understand is that my Lord is not crazy. He's the only stabilizing force I have in my life. Because I can't control the media and I can't control this guy and that woman and this and that and everything else. I can't even control somebody that might road rage on me. Right? but I can control how I respond. And so what I do is I find my rest in Jesus Christ and he gives me peace, all because of the resurrection of Christ. Praise God for that. My whole life's changed because of him and I know your whole life has to. And so I walk with determination every day in the light of Jesus Christ, knowing that I'm well taken care of and I have this future in store for me that is just going to be wild. I mean, that's just, it's, and we can't lose our hope. My concern for the churches today, my concern for how churches reaction to this whole pandemic thing and everything else, the shutting down, the fear and everything else, like my concern for the church today is that it's lost its witness for Jesus Christ. 
And as a result, then, there are a lot of people out there stumbling hopeless because of fear. And we've got to be careful that we don't buy into the fear. We've got to be very careful of that concerning those things. And then in verse 20, and I'll just read this and we'll come down to a close. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Right? Right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Notice what he says. The first one to be resurrected. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Every believer in the grave will be resurrected. Everyone. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. And then he goes on and he explains those things if you want to read a little further. But anyways, here we are. So basically, consequently, and I'll just say this, that our witness, and I just... I just think about what's in store in front of the front of the outline, and I just want to read this. First Thess four. For the Lord Himself come to, will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead will rise first. Now think about this. So the archangel, and there's going to be a trumpet call, and the Lord Jesus Himself is going to come down, and what we see is Him coming into the clouds, and He's going to call those in the grave up. And do you realize something? That those in the grave who know Christ are going to hear the trumpet call. Hmm? And then they'll be taken up out of the grave to meet the Lord in the air. And those, and it's a discipline, it's called their, their body, their, their soul, and their spirit will be reunited with the Lord in the air. This is the truth of Scripture. <laughs> I. I wonder if the ground's going to like break open or something. I don't know. That's going to be so cool. And then he goes on and he says, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So can you imagine, listen, those who have lost loved ones, those dear to your heart, can you imagine what it's going to be like? Because in my opinion, I think the Lord's going to allow that reuniting to take place, that you'll meet your loved one right up there with the Lord. And we'll be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Doesn't that just excite you? And I can imagine the joy and the expression in our hearts when we realize, hey, wow, you know, everything that Jesus said so important. And so we think about this, and we think about our witness, and we think, because he's talked about all these things, verbally how we live, it is not useless, it's powerful. Our faith is not useless, it has value, it's powerful, it's full of hope, meaning, encouragement, and beyond our comprehension. Beyond our comprehension. We're not liars. We, more than anyone who dwells on this planet, express truth. We, then, more than anyone else, express truth. We are living proof of God's truth carried around in jars of clay. We're not walking around as liars. We're expressing truth. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, 
in ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made us light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. All because of resurrection. We're still, we are not still in our sins, period. They are gone forever, past, present, and future. Romans 6, you were slaves of sin. You were, uh, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is what? Notice this, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then when, lastly, when someone dies, we know without a doubt, when somebody dies in Christ, we know without a doubt they're with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. For we make our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from the Lord. And that's the value of the resurrection. I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ, to continue to stand firmly on the foundation that he's given us. And I want to encourage you to know that he loves you very much. You're precious to him. He bought you with the blood, his blood. And we can't forget that. And he'll get you through whatever you have going on. He always does beautifully. So here we are this Easter morning, and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God that it happened. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you for everything as we think about the power. And we think about your power, Lord. And we think about who you are and what you've done for us, how you came down here and died on the cross for our sins, how you offer us eternal life simply by believing on you, that we put our faith in you, that we confess with our tongue Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, that you would save us, Lord. And we thank you for that. So here we are, redeemed, children of God, gathering together on a Sunday morning to worship and praise you. Oh, there's no greater thing than that, Lord. I pray for your blessing on everyone here as they go home on this precious resurrection day, on this precious Easter, that you would just touch and bless them, that you would fill each and every home with the warmth of your presence, with the joy of your presence. Lord, thank you for that. And so, Father, we give you this time, and we thank you for the privilege of it, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.